expect failure and not to be afraid of failure. We are also so afraid of failing. That is another layer of pressure put upon women. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn. I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. There are so many pressures that we have to face in our day-to-day lives that it's really hard to find balance. And then when we're being tasked to push ourselves even further and have uncomfortable conversations, it can seem impossible. This episode's guest is Elizabeth Meditash, and we went through a huge wide range of topics. So really, honestly, it's just best if you hear it from her. Make sure you're subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world like Elizabeth on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. Now let's just dive right on into it. Today's guest is best described as a boss babe, killing it single mom, entrepreneur, chef, fashionista, and has been described as energetic, sweet, thoughtful, kind, and an amazing cook and baker. Elizabeth, welcome to the Leading People First podcast. Oh, thank you. What a great intro. I want to <laughs> copy that. <laughs> Put that somewhere. Well, those kinds were those kind words were uh, from Daphne Sabar, so I can't take credit for that. Oh, that's very sweet. <laughs> thank you. A little research uh, on the side. I see yeah. what's happening. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, uh, to get get it kicked off, what does it mean to you to lead people first? Oh, wow. What a great question. Um, well, the first thought that comes to my mind or concept or feeling or characteristic is integrity. To ask of someone to do something that you would do as well, or you would do first or have done first. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing to, to understand in leadership is that we are all part of a whole for example, I take full responsibility of the whole, you know, failures and, and not, not just the successes are, are all our successes, but the, I feel like I would be the, the full responsible party for failure and to learn from those failures. If you know, they're, they're learning lessons. Um, but to lead with integrity and to lead with compassion and grace and to also realize that you're a teacher and that your energy matters and how you present yourself and how you show up matters. That's actually a very profound question because it also <laughs> applies to parenting. Oh, yeah. You know? There's a lot, there's a lot of parallels that I found right between leadership and parenting, especially as a parent now, um, you know, with a five and a half year old who is constantly asking questions and trying to learn. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot to draw from that. There's a, there's a lot of similarity similarities. Yeah. I just recently had a, a realization that, um, I have a son, you know, he's 17 and, I, I'm learning a lot about the male uh, adolescent brain <laughs> <laughs> and it is this whole restructuring um, that's going on. And 
I was a preschool teacher for a while because I absolutely love that age, that two to three year old, four year old age. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found that my level of leadership and presence and the teacher in me um, was far more, um, had far more grace and compassion and an understanding. And I, I had to look at this adolescent age um, through the same lens, you know, that it's a whole new um, relearning for mm-hmm. them. And because I was getting impatient, you know, as yep. a parent and you think, okay, you're almost a grown man. Like yeah. what's going on, you know, <laughs> but um, developmentally there's a lot that's happening, you know, and we don't remember, you know, we don't remember what was happening with us, yeah. you know, and it's a gift really. I mean, you're making me realize all this. Um, it's a gift really to be able to witness it. And it's a lesson to ourselves. I mean, if you're experiencing impatience, impatience or frustration, um, and that's also a parallel with your employees or people that you lead. I, you know, right now I'm a, I'm a team of me, myself and I, but I'm certainly out there in the world when I'm catering and I'm meeting customers and I find that I have to educate them as well, you know, and how do you do that? Right. How do you educate? Because it's a, it's a, that, that's a whole other business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, it, I was thinking about this because I was at the market and I was thinking, you know, there's the person that's, you know, it's Christmas and they're, they're doing the trash and they're cleaning up the, the florists and the, there's the store manager. And then there's the, 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 the vegetable guy, the produce guy. And like, they're all working towards that one goal. And I was thinking, how would I make them feel that they're just as important? Certainly the person who's cleaning up the garbage, if not more important than the person who's sitting at the desk managing Mm -hmm. the numbers, right? Because that's the first thing you see when you come into the store, right? Yeah. And and I thought, I know this is going to get a little emotional, but I thought, oh, I, I hope his family is taken care of. I hope he's well. I hope he has shelter. You know, and it's like, I mean, that's a responsibility, like, to the president of our of the United States. Like, really, mm-hmm. like, it, it transcends all of that. It's a big question. Well, I mean, when you when you think about it from that standpoint, and I think that that's what makes you a great people first leader is when you look at an individual you see you don't you're not just worried about like is the job getting done you're you're looking at is that person being taken care of outside of their workplace right because you want to make sure like you have compassion for them you want to make sure that their personal lives their mental state their their emotional well-being is in good standing because that makes for an even better person to do the work right and so that's a that's a really big deal, um, and that's something that a lot of people forget about, and that's why I have this podcast, right? And the, you know, when you think about when you say you know someone picking up trash, a, a leadership lesson that I was taught, and the analogy or the story I like to share is is from, uh, you know, my listeners will probably know that I love Disneyland, 
right? And so, yeah, there's that's a machine. Yeah, but you look at you know the their janitorial staff; they're just as important as the other cast members. But the thing that I love is that when a manager will walk their new employees through the through the parks, they will intentionally look for a piece of trash to pick it up because it is everyone's job to make that work environment as amazing as it, as it can be right. Going back to my time at Starbucks, every time we, as managers, we had meetings, the goal of, you know, post meeting was to leave the environment a better place than when you found it. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot to take from that just from the standpoint of, you know, you have to make something better for your employees, for your customers, for your, uh, for your team than when you, when you first got there. And I want to talk about your, you know, going into your career, because I think you've had a fascinating career. You've been able to reinvent yourself continuously to reflect who you truly are. So can you walk us through how you got to where you are today and learn to lead, learn to lead people first? So I started off, you know, uh, my career path was, uh, to be an entertainer, an actress, singer, dancer, comedian, dramatist. (laughs) And I also wrote, um, and everything that I choose to do, um, I always choose, and this is an intuitive thing. And this is something that's very important to point out, um, especially for women, intuition is a superpower. It's absolutely a super, superpower. And haters will, will try to uh, diminish that superpower. And when you're not aware of it, they, they will win but it's always retrievable. <laughs> so having said that, um, you know, I, I set out to get the best training possible and uh, given my, the, the, with the means that I had and the, um, the opportunities and then the places that I could reach to. And I, I was able to reach pretty far and, um, when I graduated from college and I came back after gallivanting to New York and to England at Oxford with amazing training, with amazing teachers and industry professor, professors, I came back here with absolutely no sense of self or self-worth or how to run a business or how to even understand that I am the brand, right? And for women, Um, that's a very tricky slope, right? It's a very slippery slope because you're selling yourself, right? So you're pimping yourself out. It, it, you know, and in my culture, you know, coming from a very conservative um, Jewish home, you know, immigrant families, I mean, it's literally like, you know, prostitution, right? Mm -hmm. And that was the analogy that was made to me constantly. So how did I feel about that? How was I supposed to feel about that? Terrible. So remove my talent 
remove my talent from that. The talent didn't matter. My my capability didn't matter. My in intellect didn't matter. My intuition didn't matter. All that mattered is the way I was going to be perceived. And that is such a powerful and horrible thing to impose on anyone, right? But it happens to happen more to women, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody thought of, you know, Jack Nicholson is prostituting himself, right? But he's, the, you know, or, or Al Pacino or, you know, all the greats, right? So because of that dis disconnect, I was going to say dysfunction, and it is a dysfunction <laughs> too, um, you know, I, I was lost and just was doing everything just to, just to be independent. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I chose a path and, um, and the, and the very important thing too, is to make it very clear that there are, there are no mistakes, like bad things happen. They just do. We live in a world of yin and yang of dark and light and to to believe that bad things will never happen to you is that white picket fence fairy tale lie it's a lie that's the dark that's the thing that you need to run away from what to go forward into life with is this open understanding that bad things are going to happen, but that you are able to do hard things. And I mean that for everybody, that we are capable of managing and getting through hard things. That has to be instilled you know, from a very young age. And I think that's the biggest challenge for women, especially, especially women of different cultures, of different backgrounds, immigrants, you know, of, of course. Um, we have very few models, role models still um, to look up to. Um, we're still, you know, we're still figuring out our way in the world and how to be that kind of role model that is free from those, that stigma and those negative um, stereotypes, right? Um, so I went down a path that, you know, led me through some really hard times and some, some really dark, dark times. Um, but through that, you have to focus on the, on the good. You have to focus on the light. And the light was definitely having my two children and, and, you know, there's this idea that you have to be grateful for whatever happened to us. And the idea is I, I, I want to reposition that because I'm not grateful for bad things happening. I'm grateful that I had the wherewithal to get out of it, to know how to get out of it, to have faith in something bigger than myself, even if I didn't know it, because you certainly, I certainly didn't know that I was capable of doing that. Right. Mm -hmm. I just, and I've said this and I've said this in my book, I just had this ingrained compass, you know, 
that's just born in within me of this moral compass of just knowing right from wrong. Right. And knowing, Oh, seeking the truth and and wanting to seek the truth and wanting to have it better. You know, that's just the way I was born. Yeah. And that's kind of what I want to teach, you know, sorry, I'm going on, go ahead. No, 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 you're good. You're, you're totally good. I, I think that, um, you know, when, what you're describing again is goes back to your, what you had said about intuition, right. Is intuition is something that is downplayed. And I think that that's because of the society that we currently live in is because you cannot measure it. Right. We right. are in this world of like, can you, you know, we have to have a data point for every single little thing, but intuition comes internally and you can't necessarily, you can't always go back and think like, okay, well, what, led to that decision what led to that gut feeling um and that intuition is is incredibly hard to measure but it means something and especially for our society our culture especially here in the u.s where we were taught you know where i think intuition got put into this feminine category yeah you know, men were put into this, like you need hard facts and data to make it. Yeah. And so intuition was seen as soft and and that's why we don't necessarily celebrate it right now. And yeah, very well said. And so the, the thing that I, I want to go back to is your work around women empowerment and women entrepreneurs or just women at work and celebrating women at work because again, there's a lot of work to still be done when it comes to the perception around women in the workplace. And you, you talked a little bit about perception and not needing to necessarily worry about perception. And because of that perception or that, because of that perception, you know, men and women are unfortunately treated very differently. So what can we learn about women's experiences in a more positive and collaborative way? Um, wow. That's really profound. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it comes, and I don't want to be crass, but it comes down to sex, right? It comes down to sex and you can't ignore it, mm-hmm. right? So you have to acknowledge it and, it and you have to do so in a way that you still are empowered, that you, the female, are still empowered. And it's a, it's, it's situational, definitely. You know, um, I think I've not been in a shared workspace for a few years now. And so I'm only basing it on my experience back in 2016 and 2017 um, and 2018. And I'm a different person now too. Um, so I would have probably handled the situation differently with far more confidence than I did. But, um, I think it just boils down to knowing your self-worth and believing your self-worth and mindset and really doing the work. I mean, for women entrepreneurs, that in and of itself is, you know, you're working on your own, but if you're women in the workplace, um, it's a mindset game, mm-hmm. you know, um, and really knowing your self-worth. Yeah. 
Well, I think that with your work, uh, you're absolutely, again, like you said, you're, you're educating others. And I wanted to share a note from Carrie Murray, who had a little bit uh, to share about you. And she said, Elizabeth is a championship or sorry, is a champion for female entrepreneurs and all women. If you need someone to count on, it's Elizabeth. Her passion towards food and feeding your heart and soul is very evident in her cooking. That's great. So, you know, going to the chef side of you and merging that with uh, female empowerment, how do you, I guess, bake into or find the right ingredients to help women feel more empowered? How do you help them find that self-worth and value that you're trying to try to teach them? By example and showing up as myself and being honest, you know, being really honest. Um, people always say to me with this sort of like shock, like, you're so like this is so strange. You're so open. You're so open. Thank you for being so open. It always like surprises me. Like, what do you mean? I, I'm like, what? I'm looking around like, what else is there? <laughs> like, you know, I don't really know how else to be. And that may have, you know, probably came from this, you know, deep desire to want to be liked and to please, you know, to be a, I'm a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it, it's really, I had this massive epiphany that in regards to, you know, my book and speaking out for, you know, the justice of, of women in um, domestic violence situations there's a, a terminology that psychologists use. It's, there's a huge glossary of this on the internet. When I found this glossary, I was also gobsmacked at the fact that here are all these, you know, concepts and, you know, uh, what are the uh, arch- archetypal types of people out there and no one's talking about this, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, and it's, it's a campaign smear. It's character assassination against the victim, right? And we don't talk about that. We don't talk about what that actually is to that person. And I think it's because people are afraid to have that picture of what that looks like in their minds. It makes them uncomfortable. And because no one's really come out and talked about what it actually is to be that person whose character was assassinated. Mm-hmm. And what happens to that person is they've been so mentally manipulated and abused that they actually not even knowing begin to believe the lies that have been said about them because if they didn't their reality would have been different right and I came to this really just last week and it goes back to knowing that bad things are going to happen so me being this open person also puts me in the line of fire because I tell the truth, because I am a whistleblower, because I bring things that are ugly to the surface in seeking help in seeking advice, I will be judged. The person who is, who is, you know, in the shadows the criminal, the, the abuser at work, the male harasser, the person, you know, in the workplace, they are not going to be judged. Yeah. 
And that understanding, I have chills right now, that (laughs) understanding that you will be judged is actually the power that will help you navigate those those tumultuous waters. Because if you are going to be a, a person who wants to affect positive change in the world, which is my motto and why my, my book is, and in regards to female empowerment, female entrepreneurship, females in the workplace, is that if you want to affect positive change and impact the world, you are going to be in the line of fire and you will be judged. And that is that is the crux of it. That is where you have to go. Oh, because I was walking through all of this thinking that, no, I'm the innocent one. I'm the good. I'm the one who's look at the positive change I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- yeah. you will be hated. You will be criticized. You w- expect it and expect that that's the only way through. Right. And it's painful. It's tragic. You know, people ask me all the time about my own personal situation. Why didn't this happen? Why didn't that happen? And I'm like, it's such a difficult question to answer because, you know, it's explaining the judicial system, right? Yeah. Um, because the world is not black and white, right? That's a gray zone. Walking through fire is a gray zone. It's not, it's not what you expect, right? It's, it's, it's the unexpected. You don't expect the person that's trying to do good to affect positive change to have to walk through the line of fire, right? But you do. Yeah. And I bring all of that passion to get back to your question through wanting to buy sustainable uh, fish or meat or chicken, organic produce, healthy produce, finding new ways to you know, innovation is very important for me because I also get bored easily. Like I didn't learn how to make Rice Krispie treats until last year. And my girlfriend, who's an event designer, she's like, because it's too easy, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I think so. Like, what the hell? Why, did, why don't I know how to make Rice Krispie bars, you know? And, and I think I inherently like a challenge. So I will find myself in difficult situations. So bring it on. Um, but definitely it's like, okay, how can I make this better? How can I, you know, how can I make it better? That's, you know, that's just, that's, I guess that's my motto. I guess that's it is how can I make it better? And it's going to be hard. Anything worth fighting for is going to be difficult, right? Yeah. So I, I think, um, that's, that's not, that's something that we have to understand as not just leaders, but as a society, anything, any progress that we want to make in the world is, is going to take a lot, a lot of work. And unfortunately for, you know, people of color, for women, it's going to be a much more difficult battle because of the systems that have been set up against them. Right. And it's something that we have to fight through. And that's why advocacy is so, so important. So what would you tell, I guess, organizations who are looking to uplift women 
and want to share their stories, no matter how comfortable they are? What can companies or leaders in those companies do to create better communities of support to, in order to kind of break down these barriers that women are going through? Listen to them, hear them, open, open up your minds and your hearts, get out of these gender specific roles, get out of these medieval concepts of role playing and how you fit in, you know, um, I just watched Love Actually again mm-hmm. two nights ago. And that movie was made in 2009, I think, or something like that. Yeah. 2008, something like that. Oh my God, it is so horribly sexist. And I thought, how did these women make this? How did they agree to this movie? And I thought that was just, that was just, 10 years ago, 14 years ago, however long, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it was in the last 20 years. Yes. Yeah. 2000. I just I, looked it up. 2003. Yeah. 2003. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 It came out right before my son was born. I remember. And um, it was, it, you know, it was, it's a man's wet dream. It's literally a man's fantasy wet dream. It, they are so objectified in this movie. And I thought, oh my God, what is the, what would an an opposite film, an example to this be? Like, and I think for, you know, what's the uh, the term, like somebody who studies, you know, socialization, uh, civilizations, and, and it's archaeology. Anthropologist. Yeah. I think for an anthropologist's point of view, this would be a great topic in a classroom. Like to show that movie and like how, would, how absurd it was. Yeah. And, and, you know, the whole, you know, princess, Disney princess dynasty and the absurdity of it all. And like, let's get real, like here, you know, open up a forum and hear what these women really have to say. I think Sean Penn was interviewed uh, right after the whole Harvey Weinstein thing came out, how, you know, it's negatively impacting men um, about, you know, what's been happening, you know, in the workplace that these men really weren't harassing. And I'm like, really? This is just, you know, what do they call it? Um, Casualties of war. This is what you have to say, Sean, you know, and his co-actress was sitting next to him, just kind of like afraid to say anything because he's Sean Ben. I'm like, you know, we need to get rid of that place where we're afraid to lose our jobs. We're afraid to be ostracized from an industry because we want to disagree with somebody like that's a casualty of war. Oh, this poor PA, you know, lost his job because he made a stupid joke. Casualty of war. There's no there, there. You know, it's like people saying that. People objectify, uh, 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 objecting to Black Lives La- Black Lives Matter, and I had to explain to someone: until Black Lives Matter, no lives matter, right? Yep. Until a woman is able to sit there and say, "Ah, uh, really, Sean?" If there's no there, there's no dent, nothing has changed. Yep. I mean, we don't even hear about Harvey Weinstein anymore, right? Like the guy is in jail. He's got COVID. He's gonna. Die. He has met his doom, right? Mm-hmm. But nobody talks about it. Like we need to. T- as much as we talked about 
Me Too, which became this horrible joke. And young girls abused it, you know, in the high school system. I saw it happen. Like, they don't understand what it means. Like, it's so messed up. Like, we need to talk about it. We need to continuously talk about it reframe the conversation so that it matters now, right? Yep. Nobody talks about uh, Ford uh, Blaisley, about Kavanaugh. Nobody talks about that. The, the, the p- opinions were so polarized. There was no space for believing her for one second. Like, and I knew people who thought she was lying. Like the, I, the, the, the mindset that you have to be in this place that you live in to have to believe that that person was lying is only privilege. Yep. Is only they're, they're blinded and fogged by privilege. And how do you get somebody out of that fog? Yep. How do you, how do you get them to see? It's, it's something that's incredibly, it's, going to be incredibly difficult. And like you said, it's about having compassion and having conversation. And I ha- I strongly believe, you know, we we need to revamp and reinvent our entire kind of just cultural system of being able teaching very early on what it's like to have uncomfortable conversations. And and empathize with the person across from you right we grew up in this world of don't talk about anything uncomfortable specifically about like politics or like yeah don't talk about politics or religion at the dinner table exactly yes exactly and it's like no those are actually meaningful conversations because when you have those conversations you can actually understand where that person is coming from and so now we're at a state in our in our country where we aren't willing to have those conversations because we were never taught to empathize or be uncomfortable in this, in this, in those situations. And that has bled into our workspaces. So we have to reteach ourselves what that means. And so it's, it's going to be a very long, hard slog. Like you said, it's going to be very difficult to learn and, and fight for. We have to fight for, uncomfortability <laughs> it's, you know we have to fight for compassion in the workplace and um we have to be able to lift each other's lift each other up especially those who have been disenfranchised and, and discriminated against absolutely and you have to make room you have to make room for everyone but you know that means different things to different people and we can say it and think we understand each other and mean the same thing. You know, we're, we're big fans of Grey's Anatomy in my house. My daughter has seen it like 10 times through and I'm rewatching it. And <laughs> I learned just recently, but it's an old, it's an old show. Obviously mm-hmm. it's like six years old that my first acting teacher who was a grad student when I was my first year of college um, has been a director on the show many, many times. And the show always felt very gentrified to me. Mm -hmm. 
even though they have all this inclusivity and all these different ethnicities, da, 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 it just felt really whitewashed. And I went to UCI, which is in Orange County, Irvine. And I thought, oh my God, that is so ironic. Like that was my feeling about the show, but I mm -hmm. couldn't put it into words. And, you know, the main character, the, the actors of the show, you know, they talk about how there's a show, they're, they're a show of inclusivity and they're really proud of all of that. And I think that they believe that and that they have done a good job of that. But when I watch the show, I don't feel included. I feel there have been negative stereotypes against Jews on that show. There are hardly any Jews in a hospital, in a doctor situation <laughs> in Seattle, you know? And so I think about that and I think, how is this inclusive and how is this realistic? You know, yeah. <laughs> like of all the professions in the world, I think Jews have a lot of doctors in, you know, are, are <laughs> a predominant, you know, profession. Yeah. They'll argue, you know, they'll come back with an argument, right? They'll say, oh, there was this guy, there was that guy. There... But like, seriously, like, how are they not part of your storyline? So, okay, so maybe it's creating a storyline that, you know, inspires people who have been disenfranchised franchised to, you know, go into the medical profession. Like they see, a, you know, a, a black doctor, a black chief, a, you know, an Asian doctor, whatever, disabled, da, 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 da. But it's, it's basically from a white, you know, doctor's point of view. Right. Yep. So, yep. eh, I have issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have issues. Well, there's a lot. Of, I mean, there's a lot of work though. There's so so not. I mean, uh, saying a lot of work is is understating it. There's an incredible amount of work that we still have to do to be truly inclusive, and that includes storytelling from diverse viewpoints. Right, like you're saying with with a a. a TV show that you love. It, it's from one point of view. We have to create more stories from other points of view. And that's something that we, you know, leaders need to create and organ organizations need to create is, is having more stories coming out on from those specific people. Right. I, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of marketing departments right now in companies who are saying, Hey, we have this story to tell from this quote, you know, this person of color or from this woman or, you know, from whoever, but then they frame it the way that they approach it is from the marketing point of view, not from the actual person's point of view. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's their story is getting filtered through the marketing department on what they believe is the story. Right. No, the story has to come from their mouth, their eyes, their experience to the page. Exactly. To whatever. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I heard this phrase in, in college when I was at UCI, I became active. I became an activist on the most conservative campus in, in California, um, I became a feminist and um, which is ironic and hilarious yeah. at the same time. <laughs> um, one of the phrases that uh, I learned was becoming, was that we are recovering 
racists. We are recovering. And I think that still is true, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that we are also recovering to that. It's, it's, it's hand in hand. Um, haters, right? I think that we're afraid to acknowledge that we have this ingrained in us, right? And yeah. therefore, we, we steer away from actually speaking about it, even asking for help or understanding it because of fear of being judged by it or outing yeah. ourselves, right? Yeah. So it, it, you know, how many times have we circled around the same topic? I mean, it all comes back to, you know, fear of having uncomfortable conversations, um, admitting that we are recovering from ideas that really aren't our own, that were ingrained yeah. in us, right? I, I, you know, I disown these ideas, these concepts, right? I feel like that's all I do is disown these um, cultural biases and, and prejudices that I grew up with that are not yep. real. And it takes courage to do that. And it takes energy and it takes energy, desire, energy. And, um, you know, people always say to me, I love your energy. I love your energy. I wish I had your energy. And actually, to be honest with you, I didn't understand what that meant until this just very second, that if you are a person who has energy, whatever that means, then I think it is to put pressure on you <laughs> because I certainly feel <laughs> the pressure. Um, I think it's your responsibility to do something good with that energy. Yeah. Um, and that is not to say that you are not going to make mistakes. And that is not to say you are going to be perfect. And that is to say that you have to expect failure and not to be afraid of failure. We are also so afraid of failing. That is another layer of pressure put upon women. I mean, certainly men too, certainly in cultures, I'm sure in the Asian culture and communities, in my culture, in my Jewish community, in the Persian community, and then the Jewish community. I mean, the boys have to be this, the boys have to be that, you know, girls have to be, you know, whatever, but you know, it's tilting, it's shifting. But the pressure, not only to succeed, but not to fail, that has to be gone. And I'm learning that certainly with my, my children, you know, is to, in this pandemic, in this world, through what we've, my family specifically has been through, I've, I've had to learn to redirect my focus with my son because he is really, I mean, when we talk about energy, um, <laughs> you know, but he, it's his superpower, right? He has no care whatsoever about school. And of course, because I'm a mom, I can't, like, how do you not, how do you watch your child fail? Like, in all the ways that I knew how to succeed, he rejects those, those systems. Well, that is a lesson for me right there. I have to find a way to allow him to succeed using a different unchartered method. Yep. 
and 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 I that translate like we spoke to spoke about in the beginning. Your employees, the workplace, you know, is your is your family, is your unit, is the people, is your tribe. You've got to find a way to lead them using their best skills, right? Yeah. My my daughter is has the same energy, but she directs it to the systems, right? A plus student dancer three 30 hours a week i mean high achieving like through that system they're mm-hmm. both the same kid you completely using it separately yeah. wow how do you bring that to the workplace and understand that people's talents are going to show themselves differently and how to how to um you're gonna have the word quicker than i will um how to bring that out in them yeah. and make them feel good about themselves. Right. Yep. That's a challenge. <laughs> well, that's the challenge that we all face. And, and again, as leaders, we have, we, we are, you, you touched on this much earlier in the conversation, but it's our responsibility to bring that out of people. We have to surface that and we have to help, help them align on what it is that we have. We, we need them. We, we want those around us to be able to do and with what they want to do or what, with what brings them passion. So, um, man, Elizabeth, this time, time's flown past. I mean, we're already at time <laughs> and we didn't even get to talk about, you know, half the, I think half the things that we wanted to talk about, but what is the impact that you want to have on the people around you? Oh, joy. Uh, joy came to mind, uh, immediately love, you know, I, I come from a very mixed cultural background and I'm Russian, Israeli, um, uh, Iranian, and I was born in Hollywood, California. (laughs) (laughs) And I've always had this sort of sixth sense in understanding people. Again, it goes back to that, you know, mystical, you know, intuitive sort of place. And I think with my food, certainly with my platform being, you know, a fusion of Cali Mediterranean and Middle Eastern food is bringing the, the joy of California, the freshness, the, the sunshine, right? Uh, and introducing people to Mediterranean and Middle Eastern food that they certainly the pendulum has swung where people are far more acquainted with, you know, Middle Eastern food than ever before. Um, I had somebody refer to, you know, uh, Persian rice as that sexy, crispy rice at the bottom of the pot. I'm like, yep, you know, so people, (laughs) people are aware, but I certainly want to bring understanding between cultures and people together. And that's, you know, that's the impact. I think that's a, a lovely way to sum up your your work is bringing cultural understanding to others, whether it's through food or through your work at you know in, in empowering women or you know uh, what you preach around growth mindset. I mean, I think that that's a wonderful way to wrap it all up 
and tie it off with a nice bow to use a holiday analogy since we're recording this just after the holidays. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, Elizabeth, thank you again so much. Where can people connect with you? So my website is uh, www.cafeliza.com. Instagram is cafe underscore Lisa. Facebook is Cafe Lisa. Twitter, Cafe Lisa. <laughs> In, uh, LinkedIn, Cafe Lisa, Elizabeth Maybitosh. Um, yeah, you can email me as well, Elizabeth at Cafe Lisa. Dot com. Um, and you'll have to have me back so that we can talk about yeah. the other questions. I don't yes, know what absolutely. they are. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Well, Elizabeth, thank you again so much. Um, thank you man, for having I me. I know we didn't, we didn't even get to talk about your food, which is actually probably okay because I'm about to have lunch and I would be starving <laughs> if we talked about food. Oh, right now. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll come down um, to LA and I can make you something. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds great. That sounds lovely. Thank you. And again, thank you so much for taking your time to talk with me today. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. As leaders, we have to understand the different layers of those that we lead and how our work and organizational culture will also affect our employees and those layers that make up who they are. That will take real tough uncomfortable conversation and it's our responsibility as leaders to take that on speaking of that responsibility for uncomfortable conversations again we are getting together a group to really discuss the events that happened on january 6th and what to do moving forward if you are interested in having some of these conversations around diversity equity inclusion anti-racism or just equality and social justice please reach out to me and i'm happy to connect you with the group Make sure you're also going to reach out and connect with Elizabeth. I mean, personally, I'm going to, and I'm definitely going to pay her a visit when it's safe to travel because now I'm hungry and I'm quite literally salivating. So yeah, I'm definitely going to make sure I reach out to her when I go down to Southern California. Let's keep the conversation going. Hit that subscribe button and share with us what you loved most about this episode on LinkedIn and Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.